Welcome everyone to Last Song Standing. I'm Cole Kushner. And I'm Charles Holmes. And today we are back with the second season. The artists may change, but our task stays the same. On this show, we argue our way through your favorite artist's entire catalog in order to find their single greatest song, or AKA their last song standing. In our first season, Cole and I spent seven episodes debating Kendrick Lamar's greatest songs. It was contentious, devastating, and emotional. But the LSS boys came through the journey stronger than ever. And that's why we're excited to launch into a new season discussing one of the most important songwriters of a generation, Frank Ocean. Can you taste a little taste? She's working at the pyramid tonight. Working at the pyramid. Feelings I feelings I know All right, Cole, we had a lot of debates behind the scenes about which artist to pick. Are you as pumped as me that we're doing Frank Ocean? Oh my God, I am so excited. I'm so glad this is the one we landed on. I love his music. I've done a season on him for, for Dissect. People know this. I'm curious to know why you're excited to Dissect Frank Ocean. I think every person like has an artist that is the artist that helped them come of age. Like when you're a teenager, this is the music that you are listening to, uh, teenage college years. And I think Frank Ocean was definitely one of those artists for me where I had grown up loving um, R&B artists, but they were my parents' artists or they were my cousins or different people. And Frank Ocean was one where I'm like, no, I discovered him. I remember going on Tumblr. I remember downloading the zip file and putting it on my iPod. So I have that emotional connection to him in a way that I like is very, very hard now that I'm 30 to be like, when I hear a new artist, I'm like, this isn't, this is a new artist isn't mine. This is for the teens. I don't understand <laughs> this. I'm way too old for this. But for you, Frank Ocean, you've obviously done a great season on him already. Why were you like, okay, this is the right artist to pick, especially after Kendrick? Yeah, I think for me, you know, I, what I don't get to touch on for Dissect is, one, my opinion, um, you know, Dissect's a celebration and analysis, uh, and I'm excited to give my opinions about Frank Ocean's music uh, a little bit more. But I think, like, as we live through the Frank Ocean experience these last 10 or so years, he definitely has, like, one of the most, if not the most interesting career arc that I've personally lived through. It's just... yeah. So unstandard, unorthodox, so unpredictable. Um, we still haven't got the new album. We haven't got an album since Blonde. Um, and so it's just it's just interesting to watch him move or not move. Um, and I think <laughs> kind of go, going through his discography, going through his history and kind of reliving some of the stuff is super interesting and just kind of trying to figure out a little bit more about about him and as as an artist. Yeah, I could not I could not agree more. But before we get into the episode, I'd like to welcome you, man. You're part of the Ringer La Familia now. How uh, are you yeah, feeling? It's official. It is official. Um, Facebook official. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dissect's now a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Um, it's really cool. I mean, I've been working with you guys behind the scenes for a while now, but to have it formally a part of the Ringer is really... I mean, to be honest, it's like a dream come true. Before the Ringer came to Spotify, I was a huge fan of the Ringer show. Big Boston sports fan. Love you some Boston Celtics, the Patriots. Well, I'm a huge NBA fan. I All I listen to is NBA podcasts, to be honest, and they're all the Ringer podcasts. So um, I've always admired them from afar. 
um and it's 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 really really cool to be a part of a, a, a network that i really really respect i appreciate that bill simmons just texted me the check has just cleared thank you for uh <laughs> that, that message <laughs> all right yo let's get into this episode cole take us away let's just recap what the show is um each episode of this season is going to cover one frank ocean album uh charles and i are going to discuss the history and the themes of that album and then we're going to nominate and debate our choices for the best song off of that project Um, And at the end of every episode, we each have to crown a last song standing. This is the single best song that we think is better than all the other songs on the album. And then at the end of the season, we're going to have our Royal Rumble. This is the finale. And this is where the picks, uh, each song pick week after week, enter the Royal Rumble. We duke it out until Charles and I are forced to agree on the single greatest Frank Ocean song of all time. And we'll be covering every Frank Ocean album from Installed to Ultra to Blonde. We'll also have an episode that's devoted to the singles, features, and Lucy's. But for the purposes of today's episode, we're starting with the project that turned Frank Ocean into a star, Channel Orange. Why see the world? You got the beach. Monks in the mosh pit. Stage diving, Dalai Lama. Forrest Gump, you run my mind, boy. For those of you that have forgotten, Channel Orange was released on July 10th, 2012. It's Frank's debut studio album and went number two on the Billboard 200 with 131,000 copies sold in its first week. The project spawned five singles, including Thinking About You and Pyramids. And at the 2013 Grammys, Channel Orange was nominated for Album of the Year, Record of the Year, and Best Urban Contemporary Album. Now, those are the facts of the album. But Cole, what would you say are like, thematically the concepts that really take us away on this debut of Frank's. At least how I think about it, it's kind of implied in the title, but Channel Orange is a concept album that plays like someone is flipping through TV stations. So each song is a self-contained story that functions, at least how I think about it, like a single episode of a TV show. Um, Frank actually told uh, Wrap Up at the time, he said, it's about the stories. If I write 14 stories that I love, the next step is get the environment of music around it to best envelop the story. So stories here are critical. Uh, so for example, you have a song like Crack Rock, which tells the story of a broken home devastated by addiction. And a song like Pyramids is like a surreal time-traveling allegory about a man in love with a former Egyptian queen turned sex worker. Um, but what many of these stories share is this underlying theme of unrequited love. And this stems from Frank's own personal life. Um, Right before the album came out, he posted on his Tumblr that orange is the color that reminds him of the summer that he first fell in love. And this was a super formative relationship for him. It was his first love, and it was also his first heartbreak. Um, Frank expressed how he felt to this person, and they told him that they didn't feel the same way. And so he was absolutely devastated, um, and he channeled these emotions into his music. He said, quote, I wrote to keep myself busy and sane. I wanted to create worlds that were rosier than mine. I tried to channel overwhelming emotions, channel emotions. So really at the heart of the album is this feeling of unrequited love. And the idea uh, is that no matter what Frank does, no how how many TV stations he flips through, he always returns to his memories of this lost love. He always returns to Channel Orange. 
So what I want to ask you after that beautiful, beautiful breakdown is when did you get into Frank Ocean? Because I was a blog boy at this time. I was on Not Right to Dope Boys. I was fucking infecting my parents' computers with so many viruses, just downloading tons of fucking music. <laughs> Frank Ocean was definitely one of those artists where I, I vividly remember when I downloaded the Nostalgia Ultra as a mixtape. And I'm kind of interested because you're a little bit older than me, and I believe you probably would have been around either late high school, early college, and that was around the time when you went into your pop music black hole and were yeah. completely on a classical bent. Yeah, so I've shared this a bunch, but I, when I went to college, I was studying classical music, and I kind of just shut off every other genre of music, and so I missed ironically a lot of the albums and artists that i cover now and dissect released in this time period one of which was channel orange and so i missed the whole frank ocean experience i, I missed his come up you know i've heard his name especially when he was on watch the throne and stuff um but it wasn't until actually blonde came out that i went back and really listened to channel orange so my experience of frank ocean is very backwards and, and we'll probably talk about this a, a lot of ways it, it, it informs my experience of channel orange because i fell in love with blonde like blonde is my album like i absolutely love that that album channel orange is a little bit different relationship for me um obviously great and we'll talk about it but i i really fell in love with frank ocean and then i went back and so i don't know i mean it, it definitely informs my experience of his music a little bit but i mean frank's just such an admirable artist, a, such an admirable musician. Um, we need artists like Frank Ocean working in the popular consciousness. I he's he's kind of like similar to Kendrick to me, where he's an artist artist that is that has a huge audience, and I feel like that is one of the most powerful positions to be in. And I feel like he's really pushed genres forward, or even obliterated genres. And you know, we'll talk about it, but super influential. Artist and musician, um, but that's my experience. I really wish I could have lived it, though. I really, I, I miss out. I have FOMO about that. I will say, what was interesting about that time is that Frank Ocean comes on the scene when R and B was just in the doldrums. Um, I think remembering what Usher's Confessions did, becoming one of the biggest albums released ever was definitely this watershed moment for popular black music um, in the 2000s. And I think there it casted this big shadow over the rest of the genre. And what also casts a shadow is, is that I think we kind of underestimate how much human connection and love changed at this time. We're getting social media. The internet is readily available. We have iPhones in our pocket for the first time. This is at a time when like Tumblr is becoming a thing and Twitter is becoming a thing and dating apps. And you have this cadre of artists, a Drake, a Weekend, Frank, who are trying to basically come to terms with how do you sing about love in a non-corny way in a world where our conception of dating, our conception of connecting with people is changing radically. And I think Frank Ocean was one of the artists that hits that mark perfectly where you needed someone to shake up R&B. It could not, it, it can no longer be this thing where like 
hey, yo, here's 20 sex jams. Not that that's all of R&B. R&B is a vast genre that I love. And, you know, you have the Soul Quarians, you have all these different types. But, you know, after Omarion and Lloyd and Usher and all of these places, I, I think that there was a need of like, all right, we need something a little bit different. But I think the other thing that's important to talk about in this album is the Tumblr letter that he that he drops on July 4th. So I'm assuming you did on like you did not read this letter in real time. Not in real time. I do remember kind of like hearing about it. I do remember it kind of being a big deal, but I I wasn't entrenched, so I it, I didn't really understand the impact of it. But looking back as like me studying like almost like a history uh event, you know, it seemed very important, but I, I'm definitely curious to hear your experience of it in real time. So yeah, it was it was definitely a massive moment. The best way I can describe to you is just like the feeling of it was I was I had my driver's license and I was listening to Channel Orange and one of my cousins quite literally was like, yo, turn that shit off. And I'm like, oh, why? And he's just like, yo, he's gay. And I was just like, that was the level of uh, yeah. In, in like even in my personal life, like that was the level of like homophobia that you were dealing with in terms of like black popular music where that was all people could talk about. And the reason that Frank drops this letter was that originally it was supposed to be in the album liner notes. But at this time, you know, CDs are getting stolen. There's listening events. And at this listening event, a bunch of industry insiders are hearing Frank Ocean use pronouns uh, like he and as if he's singing to a man. So he circumvents that. So, I, the letter is long, but I think we should read some of the letter because I think it actually does situate a lot of what this album is trying to do. So he says, quote, four summers ago, I met somebody. I was 19 years old. He was two. We spent that summer and the summer after together every day almost. And on the days we were together, time would glide. Most of the day I'd see him and his smile. I hear his conversation and his silence until it was time to sleep. Sleep I would often share with him. By the time I realized I was in love, it was malignant. It was hopeless. There was no escaping, no negotiating with the feeling, no choice. It was my first love. It changed my life. And I think the thing that, like, reading the letter back then and even now, the thing that kind of does break my heart is how much Channel Orange in real time was almost rewritten as a coming out record when it's not. Like, if you're listening to the lyrics, this right. is definitely more about, in my experience, Frank Ocean's feeling of coming of age. Like, it's a coming of age album. It is like an adult remembering the nostalgia of a certain specific summer, of a feeling of falling in love. Yeah. And rapidly, if you go back and read some of the interviews, Frank is almost assaulted by the media in terms of just like, okay, what's it like being the first gay black man in R&B? Which right. obviously he was not. There was another member in Odd Future at the same time who was also like a, like a lesbian, like out, like out a Sid. So it was just like, it was a very weird, weird time to to live through. It, it's it's almost tragic that we have to even bring this part up, right? Like it, it to have this letter attached. It's beautiful and it and it's very artful. It's very frank the way that he did it, but it almost seems tragic that he had to do it. Um, and I, you know, now ten years removed, it doesn't feel. I feel like the music in the album has transcended that moment. Yeah. It's a it's a really important historical kind of context for the album. But what I think about, you know, so much has changed in 10 years um, in terms of acceptance. Obviously, it's not perfect and we're still climbing that hill. But 
I don't know. I feel like you read, I, I was reading articles about this moment, you know, that we're looking back on it. And a lot of journalists and, and uh, people that identify as queer, like they, they really respect and remember that moment as a watershed moment. Um, someone in the popular consciousness making that kind of statement uh, became like a really kind of inspiration point for a lot of people and a lot of artists specifically. Um, so I just didn't want, I don't want to like glaze over that fact because it does feel important. I mean, oh, it was, it was massively important. I, like, I think I don't, I don't even, it's not that I'm belittling the letter, but it is, it was, it was weird going back and re like rereading a lot of Frank Ocean interviews at that time and seeing how obviously uncomfortable he was that you wait your entire life to make your debut album. Frank Ocean had essentially been forgotten by Def Jam at this point. He had to claw right. and fight his way back. And like this, imagine what this would have been like if you like got, the jewel case of channel orange and you could read something this beautiful in the liner notes. Mm, right in real time i remember like this album people love this album it was critically acclaimed but it was not like frank ocean just got away scot-free there was a lot of homophobic remarks there was a yeah. lot of beefing within the industry there was a lot of sniping and it was this there was this cognitive dissonance when i was listening to it being like this artist who had to drop a free mixtape just sold 131,000 copies of an album at a time when the industry streaming was yeah. not really what it was yet. I was just like, God damn, this is amazing as a fan. But also the backlash that he got, even now going back to the album, I was just like, it was rough as someone who was supporting Frank. So I cannot imagine how rough it was for him as the artist. You feel me? Yeah. 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 But, it is time, Cole, for our first segment, Ooh. which, all right, Justin, our producer, Justin, can you say hi? Hi to the people. Hi, guys. What's up? What's up? What do you, what do you need from me? What do you need from me, Charles? Guys, that's Justin Sales. He's a ringer producer extraordinaire. He's also my editor. He hears all my bad, bad takes and opinions. <laughs> On last season, we had a quiz segment. What was it called, Cole, again? Oh, damn, that's wild. Yeah. Damn, that's wild. So we had to come up with a new name for our quiz segment and justin uh. doesn't seem to like it so i'm going to <laughs> present it to you both and you tell me if it's too corny to keep or if it's perfection i'm gonna go with super quiz kids <laughs> cole i i love it I yeah! love it. <laughs> <laughs> justin was it uh, uh you know what charles it's you know what i don't have anything better so exactly <laughs> exactly dude it was it was very hard frank ocean is a very artistic artist and i was just like damn like what can i do i was going through his whole discography and it just hit me like oh this is how leonardo must have felt when he painted like, <laughs> the movie <laughs> but anyway guys super quiz kids is where cole and i attempt to stump each other with little known facts about the album whoever gets the most questions correct will get first pick in the last song standing segment at the end of the episode cole you have two questions i have two questions start me off all right so i'll give you a little bit of a softball uh, all right lobby lobby a softie Maybe. We'll see. Okay, so the physical CD version of Channel Orange contains a hidden bonus track at the end of the album. Only on the physical, not on streaming. What was this song called, and who does it feature? 
I knew this and I don't know it now. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. I, so it's not it's it, not voodoo. Voodoo is actually on the album. Yeah, voodoo. It, it's kind of on the album. It's you know part of the skit at the end. Yes. So that's good. You knew that. Okay. Oh. Um, I actually only in my research did I re re remember that this was actually a part of the album. So it's called Golden Girl, and it's featuring Tyler the Creator. Do you remember the song at all? It's really good. We can play a little clip here. Yo, play a little but, clip because I don't I don't remember this song at all. I don't remember this at all. <laughs> but then again, I'm almost positive I had the physical copy of Channel Orange. So Yeah, it's hard to listen. I mean, really, the only place you can find it is YouTube. So it's not like easily listenable within the context of the album, which is kind of tragic. It's really, it's a really good song. Tyler's verse. I love Tyler. Everyone knows this, but it's a little questionable. All right. Um, this was, this was a great one to start me off because it was actually like kind of easy. I'm just an idiot. This one, <laughs> I actually don't think you're going to get. I'm going to lob you a hard okay. one. All right. Okay. The song End contains dialogue from the 2006 movie ATL. What character says the dialogue that is in the song? Give me the character's name. You think I'm fucking around, Charles? Nunu. You've seen ATL? <laughs> I was like, Cole's never seen ATL, bro. Wait, have you seen fucking ATL, around, Charles? Do you know how much research I do for Dissect? Oh, of course my I watched. God. I was like, dog, he wasn't in the streets like that. Damn. <laughs> I was not. Damn. I was not, but I, I research heavy. My research game is A+. Fuck. All so. right. Damn. All right. What? <laughs> What's your second question? All right. Um, so Channel Orange famously debuted at number two on the Billboard 200 chart. What album beat Frank to number one? I'll give you multiple choice. Was it number one or A? Justin Bieber, Believe, B, Chris Brown, Fortune, or C, Zach Brown Band, Uncaged? It's definitely not Bieber. Those are two different eras. Like, wait, was it two different eras? <sighs> okay, you're right, but they were the same, same era, but it wasn't Bieber, so I'll give you that. It wasn't Bieber. <sighs> and Chris Brown was beefing with Frankie. But I don't think it was because of this at all. I don't. I'm going to go with Zach Brown. You are correct, sir. Hell yeah. Hell fucking yeah. All right. This is, ooh. You know, I'm going to give you a tough one. I'm going to give you a toughie. How high did Thinking About You chart on the Hot 100? Do you think I'm fucking around, dude? God damn. <laughs> I won't even look. I'm not even going to. It's written on my paper. I'm not even going to look. It's number 38. Whoa, no. It's 32. Oh fuck! Okay. Ah! <laughs> hey, I was close. That was good for not for not. Oh damn! We have a tiebreaker, don't we? We need a tiebreaker. I I got a third one. I got a third one, but my third one is way too easy. Give me your third one. Okay. Okay. Not wanting to draw attention to his name, Frank chose not to include his name on the cover of Channel Orange, and also credited his own executive producer role under the alias Everest. Where did this name come from? Wait, where did the name for the dog come from? Oh, you got. Okay, I didn't say dog. Yeah, no, that's his dog. It's his, it, yeah, he it's had a, a Burmese mountain dog. R.I.P. Everest. He, he passed okay. away. Yeah. All right. You know. You Come got on, it. man. Don't play. <laughs> Woo! 
I don't have an extra question, so I win this round. Hell yeah. I get the first, I get the first pick. All right. I'll, I'll give you that. All right. That was pretty good, though. Oh, we, we're doing. Uh, people said uh, the streets, the Twitter streets were saying, I don't know if they have another last song standing in them. They can't bring it. The heat. We were, they were sorely wrong. But anyway, warmed up. can, can yeah. I interject for a second, guys? Yes. Is there a prize or anything tied to this quiz game? Oh, I know the prize. So, Cole, Cole, you are a shill for for musician merch, okay? Like, you you got on, you're wearing a Frank Ocean t-shirt today. Yep, I am. You have the Black Friday version of <laughs> I have the Black Friday, yeah, Frank fans out there, the hardcore ones will know. I have the Black Friday blonde uh, vinyl exclusive that was only released on one day, Black Friday, many years ago. I also have the reissue blonde. I have other blonde in merch. I've got everything. So, do you have Frank Ocean's infamous cock ring? <laughs> <laughs> Be truthful. Um, <laughs> Um, I do not actually. I do. All not. right, so Justin, can you can you do some Googles for me? I'm on my work laptop. I don't want them to be like, "Yo, he's." A <laughs> so Justin, can you do some research? How much is the Frank Ocean cock ring Hold going on. for now? Googling Frank Ocean Homer <laughs> cock ring because twenty five thousand dollars. And by oh by the God. way, it is um is gold, and it's got diamonds, and it's called the triple xl so not only oh, do you get a Hell gold yeah. and diamond cock ring but you get the right to say say triple xl cock ring so you're so then justin whoever wins <laughs> super quiz kids this entire season at the end who has the most points can we charge the double xl frank ocean cock ring <laughs> to our spotify account well we as Cole has mentioned, he's part of the ringer now. So that means I have to walk into Bill's office or uh, Sean Fantasy's <laughs> office and say, hey, uh, the triple XL cock ring. Um, I'll pull some strings, guys. I'll see what I can do. If not, if not, we'll um, I, I just want to know if we can't get the Frank Ocean Homer cock ring and we have to get a substitute cock ring. Is that OK? That is OK. Okay. Here's the thing. Just make it make it orange. Make it channel orange. If you get me a channel orange cock ring, I'll wear it proudly. <laughs> and I have I have one more question that I'm that I'm gonna hang up and listen. Uh Cole, has this already broken the record for most times the word cock ring has been said on the on the dissect feed? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Hell yeah. That's what the LWS boys are about. <laughs> Welcome to the ring. Um, <laughs> yo. Now that uh, that very entertaining but very not safe for work tangent is over, it's time. And the winner is Frank Flippin' Ocean. Frank Ocean. The winner is Frank Ocean. All right, we are going to argue, okay? It's the nominations. Last Song Standing is for Cole and I to determine the single best song from a Frank Ocean album. The songs we select over the course of the season will then duke it out in a season finale Royal Rumble. Well, we'll be forced to agree on the last song standing, the single best song by Frank Ocean. Right now, we're each nominating what songs from Channel Orange should be in contention. Cole, 
why don't you hit us with your first one? Wait, can I can I guess? Can I guess? Do a guess about what I think your first song will be. <laughs> That's really funny because I was gonna have you guess. Um, so yes, please guess. All right. <sighs> what do I think? All right, can I guess what I think your favorite song off this album is? It might, it, it might also be my first nomination, too. I am going to go with... Ooh. I think it's probably Bad Religion. Yep. I knew it. I fucking knew it. I was like, I was listening back to this album. I'm like, this is Cole Bit. Cole is going to love this. Taxi driver, I swear I've got three lives Balanced on my head like stick knives I can't tell you the truth about my disguise I can't trust no one And you say Allahu Akbar Why did you pick Bad Religion? I'm, okay, the, I was really curious Because like I was going to give you my Bad Religion pick And I wasn't sure if you were going to shit on it or not I knew you were going to say, oh, that's so cool, that's predictable <laughs> But I wasn't sure like what area of frank ocean like are you like a lost guy are you a thinking about you guy or are you a bad religion guy or you're all of maybe all of the above but so you so you love this song too I, i'm really really happy to hear that so here's the thing this is gonna sound very bad i love this song way less in 2023 than i did when i first listened to it when i first listened to it i'm just like yo mm. and now it's not that the song is worse it is that the weird thing about going back to Channel Orange is I feel like Frank has done bad religion better in subsequent yeah. projects, yeah. which is not taking anything away from it. But I feel like you have to choose this song because I think it's impossible to discuss the first phase of Frank Ocean's career without touching upon why thematically um, this is such an important record. So why, like, why do you think that this is something that if you don't get bad religion, you really don't get any of the other stuff. Well, I think, I mean, we talked about the unrequited love theme and it's kind of undercurrent throughout the whole project to this point, but bad religion is really what like formalizes, crystallizes what I think is at the heart, very, very heart of this album, which is this heartbreak. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's classic Frank on channel orange in which he's going to, you know, encase his feeling or a real life experience and flipping into a story that relates to that feeling and it conveys that that feeling, but it's, it's a fictional story. So this one, for instance, is Frank's character or Frank in a taxi cab. He's using the the cab driver as a therapist. He's having him take the long route so that he can talk to him. And you know, it's a it's a taxi driver therapy session, but really it's a confessional booth, is what this taxi, you know, this taxi cab represents. And if you think about when, like so when Frank confesses love to that first love that broke his heart, he did it inside a car. We hear that skit at the very end of the album, two people talking, confessing their love for each other in the you know in a, inside a car. And in that open letter, he kind of details that moment very beautifully of him pouring his heart out to this person. And then essentially like the guy literally taps him on the shoulder and like says, it's going to be okay. And goes back into to his house with his girlfriend. And so you can really just picture this moment. Like we've all probably had moments like that inside a car. Um, and so you can see the seeds of that experience then transforming into this fictional story of him in a car confessing his love uh, and singing about this unrequited love. So just conceptually, it's like so like like so many of the songs on Channel Orange, it's so well thought out. It's like, it's one thing to say, I tell stories in my music, but every single song on here is, 
a story with so much depth. And the way that he writes it is like a very good literary writer where he's like showing and not telling, you know, like he very rarely says, this is what the story is about. We just are kind of dropped into the world and we just ex- you know, experience a scene in a movie and we kind of put together the pieces of the narrative. Uh, it's not very like linear story progressions. So it just the, the concept of it is just so brilliant. Sonically, it's one of those songs for me, like it's a sing about me. It's a nude from Radiohead. It's a song that like, when I, when I hear Bad Religion, I am dropping what I'm doing. Either I'm skipping it or I'm, I'm doing nothing but listening to it. And it is totally entrances me. I am just so locked into the the atmosphere and the emotion. It's just one of those songs that stops me in my tracks every single time. I can't do anything but listen to it. Um, I have some musical geeky stuff that I do want to show you uh, just to point out Frank's compositional brilliance as a musician. But before I go on too long on an ISO, tell me, tell me why you love it. So I think, the funny thing that I was thinking about when I went back to Bad Religion is how much it does not sound like a queer anthem. And what I mean by that is like Lady Gaga drops Born This Way in 2011. And it's this very just like loud, raucous, cheerful, like raw go. Like that is what is definitely in the ether around this this time in like the pop landscape it's in the atmosphere and what i think makes bad religion so beautiful even today is how understated it is it is not a song that's like i'm a gay man it is not mm. it is like to your point he's dropping you into this story and he is using all of these narrative devices to kind of bring you into his world i was reading when i was reading about frank around this time it was interesting how much he was saying that a lot of these stories aren't solely about him. It's not like, I think one thing we tend to do with a lot of artists is when you go back to Channel Orange, I think it's very, and I think the Tumblr letter is one part of this where it's very easy to be like, Bad Religion is a song about Frank Ocean. And I'm like, no, I think Bad Religion is a song that's summing up an emotion. It's summing up, yeah. up an emotion of like, what does it mean? to love someone that does not love you? What does it yeah. mean that the only person that you can tell is a taxi driver that has no connection to you whatsoever? And that's what I think is actually so beautiful about it is that what makes it stronger is that we've all had that moment, no matter who yeah. you've ever been in love with, that that moment of like, I cannot tell my, I can't tell anybody else in the world that needs to hear this about this except somebody who honestly does not give a flying fuck who is yeah. this taxi driver and that's what i think actually re-listened to it broke my heart even more because i was like this is the only person that he has now i don't think you were around for this and justin can correct me if i'm wrong this this uh song had a little bit of controversy when it dropped really yeah people did people did not like the chorus when he said oh he says he said allahu akbar i told him don't curse me oh right a lot of people were like this is uh islamophobic i believe islamophobic yeah they were it was just not there going back to it i'm not going to defend any of the lyrics but that part reading it in 2023 I feel like Frank is saying it more tongue-in-cheek. It, here's the thing. It could still be hurtful to people. I'm not defending it on that level. But he follows it up with, Bobo, you need prayer. 
I guess it couldn't hurt me. Part of what I think the song is, and tell me if I'm off the mark, because you are way better at doing this than I am. But part of this song also feels like Frank trying to grapple with religion as a concept. And not I'm not talking about just Christianity or um or Judaism or anything like that. About like loving someone, opening yourself up to them, being so enraptured by that feeling can also be a religion. It can also be something that like blinds you to the truth about how you feel about the world, about yourself. And that's why I think it's so interesting. I think part of the chorus is Frank trying to come to terms with how did I let somebody lead me to this place where I'm so broken? Is that totally off the mark? No, I mean, he says it. He says, you know, it's a bad religion, this one man cult. Like he he directly compares his obsession with this one person with a, you know, one man cult. So I think you're spot on there. Um, I do, I do remember reading about the backlash and I, you know, I always give artists benefit of the doubt, especially someone like Frank that has shown no signs of any, anything like that. Because it, to me, it just read like that, the Ali Akbar, I don't know how to say it, but that just means if I remember correctly, God is great or like God is, is essentially Frank is spilling his heart about this problem. And like many religious people will often do is suggest that you find God. And I think, you know, that, that was my pretty straightforward reading of it i never really saw the the harm in that but yeah um can i point out the, it's, it's a, right around that moment one of my favorite musical compositional at least in popular music of the last i don't know definitely the 21st century could i could i just give you a little mini dissection oh man come on we get all right so this so this now, season, to be clear we have to remind people this is one of the most contentious parts of the entire show because either I'm going to be dissected or I'm not. Okay, this is not my this is not quite my conspiracy corner, but you can judge me. You can judge me. I'll 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 try to sell you something here. Okay. So, in the chorus, let me just play. The, let's just he, let the listeners hear this part of the chorus, and then I'm going to talk about it. If it brings me to my knees, it's a bad religion. Okay, so absolutely gorgeous. Um, and there's a reason for it. This this part of the song gets me every single time. Like chills, super emotions, like beautiful. So here's what's happening musically. It's really, really cool. Um, so at this part of the song, we get to just the, the start of the chorus, which is like this. Pretty like subdued. And then we get those strings. The strings come in out of nowhere and they play this descending line. Out of nowhere. It's like this very dramatic moment. And it's right before he says, brings me to my knees. And we get this literal descension. Ooh. So every time, in, in my mind, I'm like, that's, that's a musical depiction of Frank dropping to his knees. I picture it every time I hear that. And then Frank picks up the melody on right after the strings, the end note that the strings play, Frank sings, and then he starts an ascension. So he sings this. So it's building to this really dramatic moment. And the next note in this particular key signature should be the, a G sharp. So he technically should go like this. Nothing wrong with that. 
But here's what he does instead. And we get this, the most dissonant chord there is in tonal Western music. It's it's called a seventh diminished chord. It's like super tragic, dissonant, tense. And then he sings this G natural, which is the highest note that he's sung in in the song so far. And it's the wrong note. It doesn't belong in the key signature. So just like there's this ascension. There's this hymn saying, if this love is bringing me to my knees. And it's just this dramatic, unexpected moment, just full of tension. And then the beautiful part is that all that tension gets resolved with the next chord. And it's just like this. And then he and then he goes into the, the high uh, falsetto voice and it just fucking melts my heart every single time that 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 is probably one of my favorite when he does the uh never i can never make him love me falsetto that is like when i first heard that i was just like i almost cried i was just like god damn it okay charles i'm so happy because i was almost going to skip this part but i have a second and it's exactly that moment now you cooking you cooking cole let me let me break this down musically because that so he says the line in question we can play it here he says I will never make him love me. But then that love me at the end turns into a plea. So he just, you know, he solos out love me and he repeats it. Love me, love me. And it's like he's pleading with this guy to love him. And the thing is, he's singing this melody. Love me, you know. But he's singing that wrong note. And... This time around, he's singing it over an E major chord, which is the home chord. The thing about this is that he's singing that note. He's singing the wrong note over this. Which to me, again, my musical brain, he's saying love me to this person that won't love him, singing the wrong note isolated like it, he's detaching himself from it and it's like it's the perfect musical expression of this pleading unrequited love singing the wrong note over this beautiful chord him not being able to connect with this guy like compositionally fucking brilliant cole i know that wasn't our major dissection but i've been mini dissected so (laughs) you've already like a mini dissection that you was cooking my last thing on this that i also think is genius about this song is that the verses are so conversational He's not mm. over singing. If you think about the singers of this time, whether it's The Weeknd or Cherami or um, or Miguel, singers that are a little bit more like classically talented than I think Frank, and that's not taking anything away from him. This type of song, they would sell it. Mm-hmm. But thematically, what he's doing is those verses, it sounds like he's having a conversation with someone else. It is delivered that way. And by the time we get to the chorus, that part where the strings come in and it starts swelling, it feels very operatic. It feels yeah. like being in a black church when someone is like, all right, this is the moment when you're going to show us our vo- your vocal acrobatics. And I think it takes a very, very intentional artist to restrain himself for so much of the song. And then go, all right, now we're doing it. Yeah. Now we're doing the falsettos. Now we're doing the runs. Now we're doing the things that are very, very foundational to R&B that Frank honestly just does not do that much in the entirety of his career, which I think sells this shit so much. And yeah, just quickly, like 
this is part of him like you know we didn't touch on the process of this album but like it took him like i think seven to nine months to record the vocals for channel orange they had written it in two weeks and then he took you know a super long time perfecting every vocal performance and it's so thought out in his mind he's like okay this is a taxi cab confessional i'm going to start it like i'm talking like that conceptually just is perfect and then it's you know we get the church organ which plays into the theme of bad religion like everything instrumentation it's all very 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 thought out it makes me think of um i don't know if we'll talk about it but crack rock he purposely sung that song with a raspy voice because he said that's how you know a smoker would sing it yeah so i mean he's actively actively thinking about these details yo could not agree more first nomination we both agree bad religion now second nomination cole can you guess what I'm gonna pick? Can you like guess which song that I'm gonna stumble? Okay, it's, it's gonna. Okay, it's. It, see, I'm not. Quite, I haven't quite gauged your Frank Ocean fandom in terms of like what style, because he he goes through a lot of styles. So I, I'm gonna just have to guess because you know, based on past experience, I'm like, okay, I'm probably gonna have to. It's probably a single. It's probably a bigger song. It's probably one of the catchier songs. So, I know the one that you should pick. And I don't know if that's going to be the one. I'm going to guess it can't be thinking about you. Is it thinking about you? That's not the one that I'm leading with. Can you pick okay. another one? This is the one that I'm stumping for. I'm okay. rewriting history on this one. Oh, shit. Um, interesting. Rewriting history. Is it, is it lost? No. We're going with the one in my heart. The one I couldn't stop playing. Pyramids. She's working at the pyramid tonight. Working at the pyramid. Yeah, yeah. Working at the pyramid tonight. Woo! Okay, okay. I okay. love pyramids so much. And here's the thing pyramids. I will give this to you, Cole. Nothing about pyramids should have worked. Or it shouldn't, there's nothing about it that should have aged like fine wine like it has. This is a 10 minute song perfect 2010s edm adjacent beat like this is a time in popular music where every single like edm had taken over the culture hip-hop r&b pop every beat was just like this very just like edm core everything needed a build and a drop all of this shit and it has a john mayer guitar solo which even <laughs> at the time i was just like enough frank god damn <laughs> and like i love this song when it came out but there was a sense of like my ears had been insulted by so like just like avici and skrillex and all this shit where i was like Oh my God, I guess so. <laughs> but I don't know what it is. Pyramids to me is one of those rare songs from this time that sounds better today than it did then. And my appreciation for it has only grown because Frank does not really make songs like this anymore. A song that's a little bit um, faster on the BPM tip. What also he does on this, which I think is one of my favorite things about Frank, is Frank is such a non-linear storyteller where... The way he drops information into you in a song, you're like, wait, is wait, is he talking about actual Cleopatra? Is he talking about actual Egypt? No, this is a sex worker. No, there's a pimp. Oh my God. Yeah. That, like, <laughs> that is the level of like when you start listening to this song, that it's like this is gonna sound very like bro-ish. Like it reminds me of like a Tarantino script sometimes where it's like mm. the way that he will drop information on you 
keeps you on the edge of your seat. And that's what I just love about Pyramids. I also think some of the lyrics and details and dark humor that he uses is so funny, so vivid, so lush. Like our skin like bronze and our our hair like cashmere. The jewel of Africa, jewel. What good is a jewel that ain't still precious? The way you say my name makes me feel like I'm that nigga, but I'm still unemployed <laughs> is so funny. Like it is like, and you don't, that's the thing I think we, we tend to talk about Frank Ocean as such a self-serious artist, which he is, but he, some of his songs have such a humor to them and such a lightness and buoyancy that I think gets lost a little bit. And I think the best quote to explain something like pyramids um, is actually Frank saying, I wanted to create worlds that were rosier than mine. I tried to channel overwhelming emotions, exactly what you had talked about um, before. And that's what I think I love about this album is that we're coming out of a time in R&B where most R&B songs, the the stories have a very clear like act one, act two, act three structure. It is just like, all right, I was at the club. I talked to this girl. I took her home. We had sex. Like, it's just very, like, that is what it, hey. Yeah. I love songs. Like, I love this, but this is what, <laughs> this is what I was listening to in Nice. This is what it was. And I think Pyramids is such, just a weird way, it's a weird single and a weird way to introduce yourself to the world after thinking about you. Is just being like, I'm making a grand epic about this sex worker and pimp, and they live in Egypt, kind of, maybe, not really, it might be a metaphor, but we don't know. That That's why you love Frank. And also, last thing, we're going to talk about the Tumblr core of this entire album later, but the single artwork being like a fucking Simpsons, Simpsons homage. Yeah. At this time, every motherfucker who had a mixtape, bruh, was doing Simpsons covers and I was you you are in the streets for this Cole. No, I was not. But it was bad. Like every Justin, really quick. How many Simpsons mixtape covers during the blog era did you see? <laughs> yeah. Um who, who were some of who were some of the worst ones? Hold on. Oh, Simpsons or Family Guy. Both of those are I don't huge. remember the Family Guys as much as the Simpsons ones, but um this was good, right? Because um the cover, right, the song is not super um you know, this the song is like very well written. Um and then the cover, wasn't it? The 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 Frank <laughs> character laying in bed creating his his own pyramid, if you know what I'm saying. Yes. With the under, yes. underneath the sheets. I think they uh a Frank Boner, yeah, potentially a cop ring, who pitching knows? a pyramid, I believe is what they call that. Pitching a pyramid. As Justin has told you, because don't let don't let the cool the cool accent. Where is Justin from? Rhode Island? Don't let the Rhode Island accent fool you. <laughs> he was in these blog rap streets. But anyway, Pyramids, <laughs> I am I am changing the history. This song is fucking amazing. Ten minutes, all of it. Love it. How do you feel about Pyramids? <laughs> so, okay, so this is where I just know we run in different circles because everyone that I know, I don't have a lot of friends, but like everyone loves Pyramids, right? I thought everyone loves this song. It was on my list. I was debating really heavily between Pyramids and Bad Religion as my first pick. The bad, the, the musical stuff and Bad Religion got me. <clears throat> but Pyramids is like, I think it's brilliant. Especially, it was his second single. It's the first thing people heard about this, you know, uh, after thinking about you confirmed that Nostalgia Ultra was like not a fluke and that this guy had something to say. He was a 
pop artist, but also is very unique in the space. And then he drops this 10 minute epic with this crazy music video. Um, I love that kind of shit. Like so unpredictable. It reminded me of when like Radiohead dropped Paranoid Android after as their first single after the bend. And it was like this eight minute song, like what the fuck is this? Also had a cartoon uh, music video, strangely, um, speaking of the Simpsons. But I I really love this song. I still, I mean, I did a two part episode on this song. I still don't exactly know what it's about. Like I get the broad strokes, but I'm like, is the first half like a dream? And then the you know, the guy that the modern day pimp and sex worker, and he's in love with her, and you know she's leave, having sex with all these guys, and so that's why he had the dream about Cleopatra running away in ancient Egypt. Like I I still can't have, wrap my head fully so around the story. So I think here's the thing. I always took it that the pyramid is a strip club. Like he's like Cleopatra yeah, is her and, name. Okay. In part in part two for sure. Yeah. So I I even think in part one, like Cleopatra is her name. She's a sex worker. They're at the pyramid. He's obviously a pimp. Everything goes wrong from there. But I think the thing that is like so genius about Frank is like the first like third of the song. You're not sure. Like you're not. Yeah. There's nothing because what are the first lyrics? Set cheetahs on the loose. There's a thief out on the move. Underneath our legion's view, they have taken Cleopatra. There's there's nothing that he's saying to you at that point where you're just like, wait, what? Why are you making a song about ancient Egypt? Which I think is also <laughs> what's fun about this. But here's the thing. I was not hating on pyramids back in the day. I loved pyramids. But it was definitely not... It did not do what Thinking About You did. I'll ask you this. Do you think pyramids charted on the Hot 100? I guess no. It did not. Can yeah. you guess? All right. Guess the number that it it hit on the U.S. hot R&B songs. Like 150 or something? It was not better than that. It was 22. So this was not... Oh, on R&B. Oh, on sorry. Okay, on, the, okay. on the hot R&B song. So this, like... Okay. I was just like, am I... Re like, when you were just like, no, everybody I know loves this. I'm just like... I remember the world just kind of shrugging. They're like, this ain't no thinking about you. Which is, <laughs> I was just like bummed me out because I would rather listen to pyramids over thinking about you any day. Oh but, my God. See, oh, what were you, Charles, what you I, I, I love you for that. Thank you for saying that. Because <laughs> if I had a hot take corner like you, like you do, my hot take would be, I don't like thinking about you. Stop! That's my third it. pick. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> thinking about you was a great song. Okay, I'll save it then. I'll save Jeez. it. Okay. All right. Let's keep okay, talking here. about pyramids. I'm, I'm okay. getting fucking pissed. <laughs> All right. So cue my music. This is Cole's Conspiracy Corner, first edition, first one of the second season. This is when I lay out for Charles an outlandish theory that I've come up with about this particular song, and he tells me if I'm full of shit or not. So it has to do with the pyramid. The question is, is pyramids a quadruple entendre? So we have Egyptian pyramids, obvious. Yes. Pyramids, the strip club, obvious. And then we already touched on the pyramids, you know, of the bedsheets uh, of, a, of a boner. Um, so here's the possible fourth meaning and layer and i have to get my keyboard out for it because you're gonna you're gonna absolutely love this charles okay so you know the riff the edm type riff in the first half okay like it sounds like this right we all know that yeah yeah so we know this riff 
So if you look at the composition of this riff, it essentially goes up the scale, hits a peak, and then comes back down. There's some flavor to it, obviously. But the shape of it, if you, especially if you look on a musical grid, it goes up. What, what shape goes up, peaks, and then comes back down? Some might say that's a musical pyramid. Yeah, you've been on that crack rock call. No, no, no. Come on, man. It was a nice try. Nice try. You're not getting one on the board this episode. Okay. So let me. Hell no. But I put that in season three of Dissect. I have since revisited that theory. I got to call myself out. I, I think it's bullshit too. <laughs> <laughs> Like I like it. I like the. I'm just like he's going for it. It's just <laughs> I can't let you slide on that one, Cole. Not at all. But yo, you've been like. So what is it about pyramids that is just like that does it for you? Because to, like you are not a singles guy. Like I don't think about you. Like you like deep cuts. Pyramids is not a deep cut. Why is it like? Why do you like pyramids? Well, I just. I mean, I I like. I love it as a song. I, I just like the way he, you know. It just sounds good to me. But, you know, beyond that, I res- it hits all the things I love in music, which is ambition and telling stories. And it is a very ambitious piece of music. You know, it's almost 10 minutes long. There's two segments. There's a two interludes, one in the middle, one at the end. Um, you know, it's not just a cut and paste beat switch. There's very, you know, thought put into like, what? how am I going to bridge these two songs together? And then it works conceptually. It's not just like, here's one song and here's another song and they're about two different things. It's like, no, that middle, the middle part is a time, it's a wormhole. It's like, that's where they flash forward in time. And all of a sudden you hear this modern, you know, R&B kind of musical texture and it's set in the modern times, but it calls back to the Cleopatra of the, you know, ancient Egypt that is, is established in the first half. And so it really just makes you think narratively very creatively again like i told you like i still don't quite have my grasp on like what's going on but i i get the broad strokes of it it just and i just i just absolutely love that he dropped it second and like it was it makes way more sense in retrospect why he did it it's so frank to do that like oh you guys think i'm this no actually let me show you this and like it just really defines him early on as really a predictor of what he would become which is completely unpredictable Every single, every album, every song seems to have its own identity. Um, and so I just, I just love the ambition of it. We're agreeing too much on this episode. I know. We're agreeing well, too much. I, we cut you. I think, I don't think we're going to agree on your next pick. So, uh, so, all right. So here's the thing. You know what? I'm going to recap the nominations and then we're going to get a little spicy. Okay. So we both have Bad Religion and Pyramids, number one, number two. Now we're going to grow to. Crack, rock, crack, rock takes, okay? And for this, these are going to be some hot takes that are all going to center around what has aged the worst, in my opinion, on Channel Orange. I'm going to give you three, Cole, and you're going to have to pick which one is the most egregious. All right? All right. The first one, this is a lukewarm take, in my opinion. You know what song I loved in the moment? I was like, this song is a banger that I can't listen to now that I think is like actually embarrassing uh, that it's on this album. Monks. Monks has not aged well. It's a clunker, I think. I don't think that's a hot take because I don't really like that song. I thought you would love Monks. <laughs> I was just like... 
it's one of my least favorite songs on the album and especially on like the back half of the album is my favorite i my hot take is i actually just really rarely listened to the first half of this album um i started at uh super rich kids usually and go from there because the back half is amazing with monks kind of being the exception kind of being the one that i skip uh sometimes so then i'm gonna go with my next one because you already named it i think the extreme tumblr energy of super rich kids is embarrassing like it is like (laughs) like it's i'm like people love this song like this is the song off this album that i'm like people will go to the mat for super rich kids i think he's a better lyricist than this this. like super rich kids is such a like coachella core like (laughs) white white bro discovered r&b yesterday ass fucking song like it's just like i never want to hear this shit in the way it it may or may not be it may or may not be my third pick (laughs) if if it's your third Oh, okay. okay. Super Rich Kids is just—it's so cringy. Like I'm just like, no, no, you're better than this, Frank. I know people are gonna hate me for that. That's my second take. My third one. Okay. Frank Ocean dropping a Dragon Ball Z reference in Pink Matter ruins an otherwise perfect Andre 3000 uh, verse. Like, love Andre 3000's verse, but Pink Matter, I'm like Frank. Frank, when I talk about Tumblr energy, I'm like, dog, <laughs> you know who's dropping Dragon Ball Z bars? Big Sean. You're not Big Sean, bro. <laughs> and here's the thing. I like some Big Sean songs. Big Sean, like, I got nothing against Big Sean. But dog, you Frank Ocean, bro. You talking about Majin Boo on your debut album? Nigga, really? Come on, bro. So Okay, so see, that's funny. It recalls my when I was dissecting this album, I had no idea what Margin Boo was. Every time I heard the song, I was like, what the fuck's Margin Boo? And then when I actually went to dissect it, I was like, oh, it's this little pink thing. Whoa, I still don't whoa, really whoa, know what it is. It's not Margin Boo. It's Margin <laughs> Boo, okay? Cole, have you ever watched Dragon Ball Z? No, not at all. I don't I'm an adult. I don't watch cartoons, dude. <laughs> Your face. Cole. Cole, don't I'm so pissed right don't, now. I'm gonna get Guillermo del Toro on the fucking phone right now. Don't do this shit. Don't do this. All right. <laughs> so you don't know who Majin Boo is? Do you know what a no. kid boo is? No. All right. This, all right. Out of these three, uh, out of these three <laughs> crack rock takes, which one do you think is the most egregious? Uh, it's definitely number two. Definitely number two. So, all right. We're gonna I'm need so, a tiebreaker. Justin, what? what <laughs> Can you back me up? Out of these three opinions, which one is the most egregious and which one are you like, he's, he's kind of cooking? I kind of like Super Rich Kids. Come on. This is... <laughs> I kind of like Super Rich Kids. Hell look, yeah. No, look, I want to dislike Super Rich Kids and then I put it on and I'm like, I'm just having a good time listening to the song. It's like... <laughs> it's, you know, it starts with the Pharrell style, like... Mm, it's it's just it's a good vibe, man. It's just a good vibe. I'm gonna sell. I'm selling both of you guys on this song when I get to it. You know what? Do we have to go to an ad break, or can we just go to the third nomination? Let's let's put some suspense on it. Let's let's go to the, let's cut to the ad. All right, let's go to an ad break, and then me and Cole are gonna throw some hands. We'll be back very soon. All right, Cole, we've spoiled it. This is how we should have like ended this pod. I'm glad that we got here because I'm going to stump for think uh thinking about you, which is a far superior song, and I'm actually hurt that you don't like this. And you're gonna stump for Super Rich Kids. Let's let's have you start first with Super Rich Kids. Can you convince me why I am wrong about this song? <laughs> 
Too many bottles of this wine we can't pronounce. Too many bowls of that green, no lucky charms. So on like on the surface, it feels like what you guys are alluding to. It feels kind of broy. It feels kind of basic. It feels kind of I don't know, kind of corny. It, I'll definitely give you that. There's like something a little just corny about it until you actually look at the what he's singing about and it's like really really nuanced and complex and like cuts me right to the core in terms of like too many bowls of that green no lucky charms is what's cutting you to the core yes okay because what does he say in the chorus right after that the maids come around too much parents ain't around enough super rich kids with nothing but fake friends the song is all about you know this wealth this kid born into luxury but yet his parents aren't around the maids don't even pay attention to him He's super lonely. He's doing drugs to fulfill his life. He has everything that he could ever want materially, but not anything that he needs emotionally. And so it's a really, I think it's actually a really heartbreaking song. And some of the the writing of it is just like very, very nuanced and like clever. So like perfect Frank Ocean example of, of brilliant writing. Verse one starts, a, you know, start my day up on the roof. There's nothing like this type of view. So the protagonist is high, like that's the theme, like that's the motif. He's high on drugs, he's high on the social and like you know wealth hierarchy, and he's literally on you know the high Beverly Hills looking down. But this also foreshadows the death, his death at the end of the song, where he falls from this great height, which is a really great metaphor. And then he says, "Point the clipper at the tube." I prefer except you know expensive news. Um, and so we are like, oh yeah, he's just like, uh, he, is this character like? actually informed about the world and it's like nope twist new car new girl new he's actually saying news plural not news like information but actually new plural and so just another little like clever little uh easter egg there he also says uh good times babe it's good times you know describing his uh kind of posh lifestyle but also piggies back off of the word watch new watch good times clever but also then we hear like a good times TV show sample in the background, which also goes back to point the clicker at the tube. So he's doing really cool writing stuff here, motivically. Uh, and then we get, you know, the loneliness of the chorus. And then we get that really, that beautiful post-chorus where he says, real love, I'm searching for a real love. That to me is the entire song. When he sings that, when he goes from the rapping voice to the sing, like we, we he's giving us the, that's the answer. Real love, I'm searching for a real love. It's an interpolation of a Mary J. Blige song. Um, and then Earl's verse, I can, I'll, I'll save all my geeky shit. It's a really good verse. And he's actually, I love this. I love the first bar. Wait, what's the first? All right, close your eyes to what you can't imagine. We are the Zanny Nash and Caddy Smashing Braddy. Yeah, it's like, it's the shit I love from Earl. Like, I can't hate on the Earl verse. The Earl verse. And so, dude, it's really, oh, and the, like, fun fact, like 37 out of the 81 words, so almost half his words contain the ah, a vowel sound. So it's just like this incredibly dense you know schematic rhyme structure um and like at the, at the end of the verse is kind of the key to to the verse he says panic and patch me up pappy done latchkey us toying with raggy ands and mammy done had enough um so latchkey kid you know that means essentially parents weren't around then the kid can do whatever he wants but then you'd realize here pappy done latchkey us toying with raggy ands like his dad is cheating on his mom mammy done had enough so now his parents are getting a divorce so if you really listen to Earl's voice, that's that's a really important narrative kind of moment, because right after the, that part, after he says, treat us like we can't erupt, which is like 
the perfect ending line for this story because what happens right after that the main character actually does erupt so we find him back on the roof this time he's drunk and it kind of alludes to that he's suicidal he says i'll he said i'll i say i jump but i never do so like this kid's suicidal and then it maybe my favorite line on the entire album he says do they sew wings on tailored suits just like here's one line that explains the entire concept of the song we get wings angel wings guardian angels no one's watching over this kid and on his tailored suit which implies his wealth and then you know we get this line i'm on that ledge she grabs my arm she slaps my head it's good times sleeve rips off i slip and i fall so what how does this person die his tailored suit his wealth actually doesn't mean shit it doesn't guarantee quality life it rips off and that leads to his death his wealth leads to his death um and so essentially the idea is like he chokes on his silver spoon um it's just i think like that shit is brilliant to me like it's absolutely brilliant so it's like it's kind of like it fools you it sounds like a rich kid but it's actually exactly what the song is it's like we should have it's it's implying that we should have empathy for these kind of people like it's the base god was right we're all million dollar golden babies or whatever the fuck he said oh the base god quote yeah that's what he meant by it that's what it meant cole do you know do you listen to base god i don't know no idea you don't know, know who little called, b is I, I know little b i just don't listen to his music of course you're not based i knew you wasn't <laughs> I, i'm that's real, what he meant like everything you said was like super intelligent and you're right you're great at this I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. I, I know. What the I'm, fuck? I know I'm on the wrong side of history. Like I know everybody is going to be like, "Yo, why do you have him on the dissect feed? He hates super rich kids." Like I know that's coming. Still, I'm standing on my one two. Uh, it's just I like if it. I want right. to watch, like if I want to watch or listen to a bunch of annoying rich kids getting fucked up and like hurting themselves, <laughs> I'll watch Euphoria. I'll have a way better. Life, you know what I mean? It is kind of a precursor to Euphoria. All right, so here you can you can shit on my pick next. But okay. I have the superior song, obviously. Cause I've been thinking about forever. Without thinking about you, there is no Frank Ocean. He would still be Lonnie Brew. We would never. No, like, hell no, no way. You, you're wrong. Like you're wrong. Like thinking about you. If it, this is not released, if he does not make good on this song there is not a frank ocean okay and here's the thing i think you, people take this song and they're like oh it's a hit but no nah, it's not really nah, nah, nah. like if you go back and read what frank wrote quote i reminisced about the sentimental songs i enjoyed when i was a teenager the ones i played when i experienced a girlfriend for the first time i realized they were written in a language i did not yet speak i think what makes thinking about you a way better song than people give it credit for is that it's a song that has one foot in a traditional lineage of R&B while still holding that esoteric core that Frank would build upon. There's a reason that when he originally writes this for Bridget Kelly, um, when he was still writing for other musicians, actually, before I get into it, like let's play Bridget Kelly's version and then let's play a little bit of Frank's because you can see just in these two performances what makes Frank such a singular artist and why it is so hard, I think, a lot of times for other writers or other performers to sing his words. Let's play a little bit right now. Because I've been thinking about forever. Ooh. 
So when Frank drops his version on Tumblr, I think what you're starting to see with Frank is that he is such a specific writer. And the way he delivers what he is saying sells the music in a way that only he could. This has one of the best opening bars in just in the last 10, 15 years. A tornado flew around my room before you came. Excuse the mess it made. It usually doesn't rain in Southern California, much like Arizona. My eyes don't shed tears, but boy, they pour when. Like, you don't feel that shit in your core when you hear that, Cole? It's a great line. Come on. Like, that is like, for that to be the single that hits and to arrive on the scene with that, like, there's a reason why he sells that line. He's not doing acrobatics. He's not like, he does not sound like the weekend when he's performing it. He's just delivering it to you in this very confessional way. And that is like the skeleton key of Frank Ocean. I like, I will say this to Frank Ocean's face I think there is a reason why he was a songwriter first. Frank Ocean is not a true, what we know traditionally as a super virtuoso R&B singer. He does not have that type of vocal range like that. But what he does have is a command over lyrics of, of narrative, of form. He thinks about this stuff way more than your average artist does. And I think what thinking about you, what makes it so beautiful is that he is able to deliver a traditional R&B song but in the lyrics like I don't love you like I I don't love you I just thought you were cute that's why I kiss you got a fighter jet I don't get to fly it though I'm lying down is just so like who is doing that in a song how is Bridget Kelly gonna sell that nothing against Bridget yeah, Kelly yeah. but like if you give that to another artist <clears throat> if you give that to a yeah. John Legend it's not going to hit the same. It's just not. Yeah. And that's a good point. You know, and I think that without when I say when I say that without thinking about you there is no Frank Ocean. That's not me saying that he never gets to the talented heights of something like Blonde. It's that you need this type of honey in the medicine. You need to give people a hit and feed it to them. And when you go back to listen to Thinking About You, it unlocks a bunch of Frank Ocean. Because if you just go back to listen to Nostalgia Ultra now, you're like, wait, what? This is the guy? It's, it's not going to really make sense. This was the song that gets you played on Hot 97, gets you played on Power 105. It's just... it's uh, Cole, can you tell me why you don't like this song? <laughs> like, what, what, what is it about this okay, song so that you don't fuck with? So this is maybe where my personal experience of Frank comes into play. Because I was introduced with Frank more or less by Blonde. And so that hits everything that I love in music, experimental, crazy arrangements, just unpredictable moments everywhere. Things you just never have heard musically, vocally, like just that's the stuff I love. And so when I go back to Channel Orange and it starts with thinking about you, this very subdued, like production wise, just frankly boring, like it doesn't go anywhere, which I get that's the point. It doesn't go anywhere. But here's the thing. All right. But see, I can tell Cole, you don't like vibe music. And normally I don't either. But this is if you like listen to the production, it has this like woozy, almost like revert, like they're reversing like the the beat type of thing. Where to your point, it's not that the song doesn't go anywhere. 
it's that the song is settling you into an emotion. It is settling you into a type of nostalgia, to, for lack of a better word. And that's what I think makes this song so good. Because when we talk about Nostalgia Ultra, we're also going to get into this idea of that at least the first two Frank Ocean projects are him learning how to create a language for a new type of R&B star. Where yeah. it, the way that Frank arranges his music and sings about his music is off kilter for a reason, in my opinion. The things that I think a lot of R&B artists fall back on, whether anyone from a Genuine to a Tyrese to whoever, is this bravado. It is this very horny horn dog sex they're selling you that this person is the only person that they've ever thought of and this is going to be a love and a sexual marriage that will last a lifetime and thinking about you is doing that but devoid of the acrobatics devoid of the bravado and it's like it is actually a sweeter song this is actually how I feel a lot when I'm thinking about the people that I've loved, where I'm just like, I'm just thinking about you. Like, I'm thinking about you. That's it. I'm not thinking about, like, fucking you for, like, 365 days of the year. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a lot of songs. Yeah. Like, it's just like, no, I want your presence next to me. And I'm trying to figure out what that means. And what I think also makes Thinking About You a superior song, Cole, okay, <laughs> is that you have to think about what's happening at this time. Um, social media is becoming a thing. The internet is becoming a thing that controls our lives. Almost overnight, we go from communicating with people face to face, not looking at bricks of metal in our in our fucking pockets, to missing people because we're just tweeting at them or we're seeing them on Instagram. Like this is a song that if it arrives. Five years later or five years before, I don't think it's a hit. It's a hit because he's starting to do what Drake was doing in the weekend, Jeremiah. They're starting to sum up this type of feeling of a lost love or a lost connection of how we relate to other humans. And that's why I think it is a far superior song oh. to the Tumblr bro super rich. <laughs> now you can attack Nicole. Why is thinking about you lame? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, like, I appreciate it from, like, it's not a bad song. I respect it, very much respect it as a song writer's. Like, it's very, that's, and that's why it sticks out to me because it's very much like a song you wrote for someone else. Like, it's cut and paste, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. Like, bridges are dope. Shout out to Tyler the Creator. Choruses, even more dope. Come on, man. The, <laughs> the bridges is be the best part of the song. I you don't wait. You don't feel nothing when he hits that falsetto. You don't feel nothing. I know. I do. I like that part. It's not like I absolutely hate the song. It's just not what I want from Frank Ocean. It doesn't. It doesn't separate him enough from everyone else. That where I'm like this. Re like in this exercise, the last song standing, we have to pick the one song that Frank Ocean that represents who Frank Ocean is. It cannot be this song. Like, it's not fully who he is. This is the origin story of Frank Ocean, of uh, the seeds of Frank Ocean that we know today. But it's not, that's, it's, it's not Frank Ocean. I, to I'm going to be real, Cole. Like, I agree with you that, like, if this is the song, like, it can't be the song. But if we're going to be real, for the majority of the world, 
this is the Frank Ocean song. This is still his highest charting song. Like this is, he has not eclipsed this single since okay, from a commercial actually, Okay, that is, might not be true because historically I get you, but you know, Lost has more streams than thinking about you. I, Which is crazy. Here's the TikTok thing. had a TikTok had something to do with that, but yeah, it's it's crazy how Lost is aged. If we're talking about solo, if we're talking about like solo songs, I think that there are more people in the world who have heard "Thinking About You" than any other than any other Frank Ocean song. Probably, and that that to me is a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> you just hate the hits, it really bro. Is. Here's the thing, Cole. We know you like scaring the hoes. Like you gonna try to put on some like deep blonde cuts, and I'm just like, dog, just play thinking about you. Like, come on, let's out. Let's- I played I played bad religion at the function. Oh my gosh, Cole. <laughs> <laughs> just ruining the whole vibe. <laughs> All right, so here's the thing. Let's recap. We both agreed with our first two picks: bad religion, pyramids, and then we wildly diverged. You picked super rich kids. I picked Thinking About You. So now that we've made the case for what songs from Channel Orange are in contention for Frank's best of all time, each of us must choose our last song standing, the song we're bringing with us to the season finale, Royal Rumble. We can't agree on the song. We're not doing like last season. Yeah. All right? Once that song is picked, either of us have to pick another song. Now, technically, I kind of won the quiz, but not really. Um... I'll give you first pick. No, first no, pick. no, 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 no. Wait. Okay. Before okay, before you make your pick, what so because people are gonna be pissed we didn't talk about every song. We can't we don't have the time, but what are the what what were close to your picks? Give me give me like rattle off your, you know, your five next kind of go to jams on here. Oh man, you know, okay. I know that like he butchered the performance on the Grammys, and I might be a basic oh, bitch for saying this. I like Forrest Gump. I love this song. I fucking love song. My fingertips and my lips, they burn from the cigarettes. Forrest Gump, you run my mind. I was listening to it again because I was just like, man, it's called Forrest Gump. It probably aged poorly. And I was listening to it and I was just like, you know what? This shit still hits. Like, Forrest Gump, I think Lost is like a pretty good song. Like, I, I like Lost. I will say you want to know what songs absolutely just would not make it. We've mm. already done Monks. Pink Matter. I'm just not a fan of Pink Matter. Dude, all. that was almost one of my... I love that song. What? That song's so good. No. That song is so good. No. Pink Matter. <laughs> Pink Matter stings. I'm, I love that But you song. want to know what really stings? And like this, I feel bad because the story behind this song is like very, very sweet. Don't get me wrong. It's like very sweet. But I just... I, I almost skipped it every single time I was preparing for this. Not a big fan of Crack Rock. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not either. You know, Pilot Jones into Crack Rock to me is... It's t- to your point, the last half of the album when like, Pyramids Lost, Monks, eh, but Bad Religion, Forrest Gump, the last half of this album was a lot stronger than the first half, if we're going to be honest. Yeah. It, I, yeah, I just love the progression of it too. Like, Thinking about you, it is a very per- conceptually. It's such the perfect kickoff to the album because it sets the stage for everything. You know, this guy that's always on his mind that he keeps returning to, and then it kind of you know, and that's a more put together song followed by fertilizer. This upbeat, you know, 
uh, interlude. And then the, the, slowly over time, like the album kind of deteriorates and gets dark. It's kind of like blonde. It gets a little bit darker and yeah. darker and darker as it goes. And I just love that narrative progression. And the cool thing is too, just since we talked about Forrest Gump, like it does come full circle. Cause I, I've been thinking about you is essentially the same expression of you run my mind boy. Like it's the same concept. And then like here here at the end, he went through all, you know, we went through this whole album and here he is still thinking about this guy. Here he is still saying, you run my mind, boy. It's, it's like, it's, and then we get the conversation in the car at the end. It's just like conceptually very, very I mean, cool even album. those, even the whistling part at the end of Forrest oh, yeah. Gump, like just. I was literally whistling in my car today. It just <laughs> puts you it. in just such a good mood. Like it's like to I your know. point where it's just like bad religion to pink matter it gets really like just it it brings the the album down in terms of just like the mood yeah and like forrest gump just sends you off on such a like high note i really love forrest gump it's real. i mean but it's and it's so frank ocean thematically because we'll definitely talk about this on blonde but like frank's whole thing is like nostalgia warm memories of the past making bad memories good just by remembering him and like appreciating the experience good or bad and that that was a moment in my you know like and it's so to to get to the end of the album and have that feeling after all that we experienced you know it's it's such a warm orange feeling like we leave the album feeling orange it's like perfect oh i could not agree more so here all right so yeah hit me with your pick you have to what pick you do? so you made a really really good observation I was leaning thinking about you because I'm just like, hey, this is the one. If I was like making a list of the greatest Frank Ocean songs, if I was thinking about it, I'm just like, this needs to be on the list just because it's his first hit. But fuck that. This is our show. We're the last, this is the last <laughs> song standing. All right. This ain't the little bitch boy standing. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I'm going fucking pyramids, bro. Let's fucking oh, go. Yeah. Pyramids. Hell yeah. Hell I'm so, I'm so happy that you picked that song. Oh my god! Okay, you you. Here's the thing, you're really good at this, Cole. Because the minute you were just like, "Hey, like thinking about you," cannot be the song that we pick. I was like, "Dog, that would be a basic ass song for us to in the season." We're like thinking about you. I was just like, "No, run <laughs> out of here." So I'm picking fucking pyramids, and I know which one you're picking. I already know. Super rich kids, baby. Wait, what? You're wait, I'm what? Just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I it's so bad. <laughs> your face i was just I like dog and no ass don't pick bad religion so we can wrap this shit up bro i'm about to quit this pod on the first episode <laughs> no it's got to be bad religion oh my god we, we're not making the same mistake and not choosing sing about me that we did last year i gotta pick bad religion it's the sing about me of the album arguably the best moment on the album definitely the most core emotional moment on the album that's what we love frank ocean for these are the feelings frank ocean give us that no one else can bad religion all day for me oh man i'm feeling i'm feeling really really good okay guys we did it cole picked bad religion i picked pyramids i think we're starting off on a good note like i'm really i'm feeling really really good i think no, I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna say anything because if I'm just like I'm feeling good, Frank Ocean fans would be like, "I hate them. How did they not pick Super Rich Kids?" <laughs> but yo, Cole, why don't you take us out and like and thank everybody who makes who makes this podcast possible? Yeah, man. Um, we got definitely a plug. You guys can make your voices heard on the Spotify episode page. After every episode, 
You can vote on what song that you would like to see as your last song standing. So just look at the episode page on Spotify. You can cast a vote. We might talk about it. Also, you guys can tweet at us or tag us or whatever, social media at Dissect Podcast or Charles X Holmes. Should we reveal what album we're doing next week? Let's do it. Let's reveal what album we're doing next week. All right. Next week, we're going back to the very beginning. We're going Nostalgia Ultra. Nostalgia Ultra uh, mixtape, but you know, this is what, what put, uh, Frank on the map. So we're going back nostalgia ultra. We might talk about a little odd future. We might talk about a little Lonnie bro. Um, uh, but yeah, thanks to uh, executive producer here, Justin sales audio production by our boy, Kevin Pooler and theme music. This season is by the great bureaucratic. Hell yeah. All right, guys, if you have lasted this long through the podcast, it is time for, honestly, the best part. Last year, Cole, you would say that we had a a cultural exchange, if you will. I would give Cole a TV show, a song, an album. He would trade with me as well to hopefully understand each other better as friends. So this year, I'm going to go first. I've created an entirely new bit. It is called the PBRB syllabus. Cole, correct me if I'm wrong. You're not a big fan of RB. Uh, generally speaking, is not what I put on very regularly or if at all. Frank Ocean is about as far as I go. I, a little a little black every once in a while, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? No? Black? The first album, no? Black? Okay. <laughs> What? <laughs> all right, man. All right. What are we doing? I'm about to put your ass on. Hell fucking yeah. Justin, turn on your fucking mic, bro. Right. This is our time. Right, the PBR. All right. So before we get into it, Justin, like how would how would you describe the phrase PBRB, which is not like a phrase that anybody should love? It's yeah. like a dumb phrase, even in the moment. I was just like fuck this but hey it's it's the same as like soundcloud rap it means nothing and everything so what how would you describe pbr and b to our listeners well we gotta talk about the etymology for a second and it's just pbr like the bear that hipsters like and then r&b so the whole idea (laughs) is this is r&b that hipsters can like and back in 2011 around the time that nostalgia ultra and uh, the weekend's first mixtape, House of Balloons, dropped. A writer, a, a writer that I, I like very much, Eric Harvey. Um, he's a legend, written for a lot of places, including The Ringer. Um, he coined the phrase PBRB, and it kind of took on to the point, you know, it's got a Wikipedia page. It was in, it's a whole marketing buzz type deal. Um, some people who. And it was a tweet. Like, I think it was just like a dumb yeah. tweet that he, like. Uh, Throughout there, and then one of our own, love him on the big pick. Like even Sean Fennessy was writing about it when he still wrote about music. Like this was like a- <laughs> so the whole whole thing is you, you brought up the SoundCloud rap comparison, and it's kind of like that in that there's no real unifying sound. Like House of Balloons and Nostalgia Ultra are not very similar in sound or scope or vibe, right? It's just 
Exactly, or like Jeremiah. Like Jeremiah is not well, but the but, like but, Frank Ocean or but but, but 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 Jeremiah fits into this category, and this is where the this is where the funny thing comes. Jeremiah only fits into this category starting in 2012. If you go back to the birthday sex era. People weren't really messing with him like that. Like, the, like yeah, the, people were the, not, not messing with people Jeremiah. in this realm. Like, he was popular. Birthday Sex, I think, might still be like his most popular song. Cole, are we losing you by talking about Jeremiah? Right? Yeah, I'm, I was just gonna say I'm fucking lost, dude. What the You're fuck lost. Are you guys what? About? <laughs> this is why we're doing the PR, PBR, and syllabus. Yeah, so, so we're off to a bad start. So basically, it was just hipster-friendly, critic-friendly R&B that came out in the early 2010s, and you had stuff like with the, the weekend, weekend, Miguel. Miguel Frank Ocean, yep. Jeremiah in, 2000, Jeremiah in 2012 flipped over into this category with his excellent tape, which we, we, I'm assuming we will be talking about at some point. But yeah, it's um, R and B approved by hipsters who thought they were probably too good to listen to stuff like Usher. Mm. Yes, it was a little. It, if we're gonna be clear, it was a little racist. It was like every white person who was writing about music being like, "Hey, have y'all heard about this genre?" R&B, it's no longer just for <laughs> black folks. We can listen to it, too. Definitely had a little bit of that. I was a little pissed. But anyway, that was a long explainer. Justin, right. you're going to love need, what my first okay. pick is. Okay? Okay, yeah. I, I need the intro. Give me the PBNR, B, whatever the fuck, for dummies. Can we open a can of uh, PBR, Kevin? Yeah, Kevin, give us a sound effect. All right. So this is an album that I've listened to this week. I want to start you, like, in the dirtbag arena, in the, like... I know Cole isn't going to fuck with this, but that's why I'm picking it. And let's just say, welcome to the party. Welcome, baby. Yeah. Welcome. Hell yeah. Welcome to the party. Welcome, PND number one, Party Next Door's first fucking album. That is the first fucking album we're going. I need you to listen to the whole mixtape. It's on Spotify right now, bro. Party Next Door's first project. I believe it's like 25 What's it called? It's not a long project it's, at all. It's, it's just Party Next Door. It's just, it's just self-titled. It's just it literally called? self-titled Party Next Door. Party Next Door. Oh, okay, okay. Self-titled. I'm so excited for Cole to listen to this. He's going to be so mad. I like to get Cole. This is where people are going to kill me. We started this Frank Ocean shit because like, I love Frank Ocean. Blonde. Is like if I'm talking about like the albums that made me like my top five albums like on an island, I'm taking Blonde. That's how much Frank Ocean means to me. I like the first Party Next Door record more than I like Channel Orange. Now I'm a little excited. All right, all right. So Cole, <laughs> I believe that you also have a recurring bit uh, for for our cultural exchange. What is it? Yeah. So last season I introduced you to a little, uh, just dipped your toes in the water of classical music. I showed you some Beethoven. I showed you some Bella Bartok, which is like the more experimental, mm. atonal side. This, so we're gonna, we're gonna. I wanted to keep this theme a little bit because there is a lot to explore, but we are gonna focus mostly on the 20th century classical music, probably my favorite era. This is where it get, shit gets just fucking weird. And so, have you ever heard of minimalism music? Yes, but explain it to me because I want to know what mindset I need to go into when I'm listening to your pick. So minimalism is, as it kind of implies, like it's very, to the novice listener or just on the surface feels very simple. Um, you know, there's not much there, but, and a lot of the times they'll just have, like, it'll just, the whole piece will surround, like be based on like a three note, like riff, like a do, 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 
do, do, do, like the simplest thing you could ever possibly think of. But then the composer starts to layer and layer and layer and layer all these short bits, all these short musical phrases start to stack up on each other and create these really, really gorgeous textures that just, you know, the song doesn't quote, I mean, it goes places, but not in the typical way that you would think music goes places. It's very much just these washes of sound. It's probably my favorite genre of music, just hands down. I love, I just love the mindset that it puts me in. So I'm going to start you with my favorite minimalist composer, Steve Reich. And I don't know if it's my favorite piece by him, but it's probably his most popular and it's definitely a great introduction. It's called Music for 18 Musicians. As it implies, it's it, you know it's orchestral-ish instrumentation, uh, but it, you, I, I I wanted you specifically at least to start with the video. I'll send you the link and I'll, I'll post the link on our social media so people that want to check it out too, because you, you have to see how these sounds are produced. Because when you first hear it, you're going to be like, "Is this like computer electronics?" No, this is all orche- you know orchestra instruments creating these sounds, and it's definitely like widely considered one of the most influential pieces of the 20th century in terms of classical music. Uh, it's really what put minimalism on the map, on the pop kind of as popular as classical music can be nowadays. It's it's really what brought minimalism as a serious genre. Uh, so Steve Reich, music for eighteen musicians. That's your first assignment. If you had to give me a modern musical comparison, like to get my mind right, like like either an artist or whoever, like a producer, is there anybody that like I would be like. This is this is the feeling, even if it's not the sound. This is like the feeling. You know, it's really funny and it's really weird. It might be even PBR ish because the first thing people I thought of was LCD sound system. Really? Because because what LCD sound system does a lot of the times, you think of like all my friends. It's that weird piano thing that just loops, and then they put a dance beat behind it. Imagine that way more complex, but that kind of weird hypnotic kind of repetition with no dance beat but and then it's just way better musically so i don't know maybe that helps oh if that helps guys you've heard you've heard uh our cultural exchange by next week we want you all to be cracking a pbr listen to (laughs) both of our songs yo and we'll be back thank y'all so much hell yeah Woo.